This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday show, our last show of the week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to answering your Bible questions and life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. I'll do the best that I can. All we need you to do is call us. You can do that by dialing area code 210 340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer, 340-9585. I like Fridays because I get to say, have a great weekend in church. Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. And as you go to church... This week, we have church here tonight. We have three services on Sunday as well. And um, when you go to church, wherever it is that you go, uh, ask the Lord how you can be used. Ask him to open your eyes to the things of the spirit and say, show me somebody who's hurting. Show somebody who I can encourage. Show me someone that I'm able to pray for. And when you come to church with a heart to be a blessing to others, I promise you church will change completely in its value and its importance. As you are a blessing to others, you yourselves will be blessed as well. Tonight I'm going to be teaching First Peter. I'm still in just this, our second study in the brand new book. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Uh, that's our study tonight. And then uh, on Sunday, we're going to look in depth at the Apostle Peter's fall when he was the disciple. Um, we keep hearing in the background, cock-a-doodle-doo. Well, it didn't happen overnight. There were some reasons behind it. And we're going to look, and I hope and pray that we're going to learn from his fall so that we ourselves can stand when we are being tested in this world. Okay, let's get to some questions while we wait your phone calls. We'd love for your phone calls. You're more interesting than I am. Here's a question from Adam. Pastor Ron, since there was a woman apostle, why shouldn't women have positions of authority now? Um, the thing to remember here is that there there were no women apostles. I know what you're talking about. Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 7, where Paul writes, Greet Andronicus. And Hunias, my relatives who have been in prison uh, with him, he said they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. There's a couple of things I want to talk about about this one passage. Um, The first, I, I find it amazing, Paul's relatives in Christ before he was. And I always think about how they must have prayed for him. I think most of you know our story. Paula prayed for me for 13 years, and I got saved as a result, Adam. And um, I know she was praying and praying and praying. My grandmother before me, she was praying for me from the time I was born. And my sister, when she got saved, I know that she was praying for me. Well, here, Paul gets to mention and, and, and take note of 
of some of his relatives. We don't know what the relation was, but cousins or nieces, nephews, who knows. Um, But now they're in prison with Paul. And then he says this, they're outstanding among the apostles. It doesn't mean that they are apostles. It doesn't mean there's a group of apostles and they were the outstanding ones. What it means in, as you look at the language very closely, it's that the apostles knew them and commended them as outstanding in their faith. So this doesn't include them, Adam, as an apostle. We know that the apostles had very strict uh, requirements to meet. That's why they could only find Matthias uh, and one other. When they were talking about replacing Judas in the beginning, he had to be with Jesus the whole time uh, of his ministry. And, and of course, um, um, Andronicus and Hunius uh, were in Christ before Paul, but certainly not when Jesus was here walking. So it doesn't mean that they were outs- outstanding apostles. It just means that the apostles could commend their faith and their walk with the Lord. This is a great, great compliment, but it doesn't mean that they are um, th- that they were apostles. Another thing I'd like to comment, you know, there are some who believe that Hunia is a, is a name in the feminine. Uh, Hunias is masculine, and uh, it, it's unclear whether um, this person really was a woman or a man. Uh, I, I personally believe it was Hunia. I believe she was a woman, and God had great plans for her, and that's great. But she never was an apostle. There is, in fact, a, a, a website. I think I'm going to get this right, the Hunia Project. And it is dedicated by those who would say, no, women can be pastors and women can be elders and women can be an authority in churches and it doesn't matter whether they're in authority over men or not. Uh, and, and sadly, that's not true. And uh, uh, But Adam, be, be really careful when you're looking at something like that. Um, that's why we were to study to show ourselves approved work, men and women, rightly dividing the word. And it's just not good exegesis to say, oh, they're outstanding apostles. No, they were outstanding um, and known among the apostles. So uh, these are, are, are people who had an outstanding ministry, and they were well spoken of by everybody. Um, many, many rewards in heaven for them, even if uh, Hunia is not an apostle. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Jennifer. She says, does Satan still have access to heaven? And why did he ever have access? I'm laughing, Jennifer, because I've asked that question. Lord, why do you let him in? He rebelled against you. Now, I know he's your servant. I know you've got a plan for him. But you don't have to invite him to your house. Um, and, And Jennifer, it appears Satan does still have access to heaven. There's a day when that access is going to be cut off. Uh, but I don't think that access day or that lack of access day uh, has occurred yet. Uh, why did God give him access in the first place? We'll never know the answer to that question until we get to heaven. Um, it makes no sense other than to say that God's sovereignty is never more powerfully demonstrated than when he uses those who are opposed to him, those whose purpose in life is to to... to destroy him um, and still accomplishes his purpose. So yeah, we know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses the people of God before the throne of God night and day. I did a study recently when we were in, we are still in Luke chapter 22, but a couple of weeks ago when uh, Jesus warned Peter and the others that Satan's asked for you by name. And the you there is plural. So all of them, now his specific focus was Peter. Peter as the one who was sort of the pseudo-leader among the twelve. Um, Jesus said, but I prayed for you, Simon. In other words, I got this. If you'll just trust in me, I've got this. And I told our church, Jennifer, that I'm just as happy if my name never comes up in a conversation between the Lord and Satan, unless that comes up and Jesus says, that's my servant, Ron, leave him alone. That would be okay. But other than that, I don't want Satan to have any access um, to me. 
So I, I just, I, I don't talk to the devil. I don't want to think about him. Um, I just let Jesus handle that. So I hope that answers your question, Jennifer. Thank you. Betty says this, Daniel 7.21 says that the saints were overcome by the power of the devil, but the New Testament says the gates of hell will not prevail over them. Can you explain the contradiction? Well, it's not a contradiction, Betty, at all. Uh, Daniel, remember his ministry, he was a Jew. Um, He knew nothing of New Testament saints. So when Daniel and, and other places in the, the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, when they talk about the saints, they're talking about the Jews. Separated is what the word means. And the Jews were separated for God's glory. So Daniel's idea in chapter 7 of the saints um, who, who, could, who couldn't overcome the power of the devil, or in fact who were overcome by the power of the devil, he's talking about Jews. And Daniel, of course, had seen Babylon overwhelm Jerusalem. He'd himself been a victim of being taken into captivity. So when Daniel's talking about the saints, he knows nothing whatsoever about the New Testament church. You and I, Betty, were saints. But Daniel never could understand a relationship like that. So when he's talking about the saints, he's talking only about Israel. Uh, When Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail over us, uh, over his church, uh, of course, it's a completely different thing altogether there. So I hope that answers your question, Betty. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls on this Friday afternoon. Uh, Catherine wants to know, is using birth control in a marriage okay? Um, yeah, Catherine, the Bible doesn't speak about birth control at all. So... Uh, unless we had something in the Bible that says not to do it, uh, then it's okay. The, the Word says, Jesus told the people that he created, uh, Adam and Eve, and, and those that fallen, be fruitful and multiply. But that wasn't a command in the sense that they had no choice. And certainly, uh, God's purpose in, in multiplying in the earth at the beginning is obvious. There had to be people who were born, and they were born very quickly, and, and, and they, they popped up everywhere. Um, in a marriage situation today, if uh, you have the freedom of the Holy Spirit to use birth control, then it's certainly okay. Uh, I know, Catherine, the Catholic Church has taught for many, many years, I assume they still do, that, that using contraceptives is sin. But frankly, uh, that and abortion and, and other places are just some of the places that the Catholic Church a church at large, they don't listen to the Catholic Church. So, um, you know, they, they simply do what they want to do. Um, uh, but there's no problem with you using birth control. Um, the only thing I always suggest, and this comes up in our church from time to time as well, uh, I always suggest that that before they decide to have to use birth control or decide to have children or not to have children or when to have children, I always advise them, and I do this a lot in pre-marriage counseling, is, is find out what Jesus wants. Imagine if Jesus wanted to bless you, Catherine, with a child, and you, you said, no, I don't want to be blessed. Now, you may have reasons. You may have your own plans. You may want to delay a family. All those things are true, and I, I understand it. And there's nothing sinful about it. But as Christians who belong completely to the Lord... We're not our own. We're bought with a price. I wonder how many times Paul and I said that on yesterday's program. I think the thing that you ought to do is to say, Lord, what are your plans for us? And if he wants you to wait to have a baby, then he'll make that clear. If he wants you to trust him, he'll make that clear. My point is this, Catherine. The best thing, the best thing is always finding out what God wants in any and every situation. You may not even imagine that having children is something you want to do. But what if it's what he wants you to do? You know, we have some moms in the church who had surprise babies a little bit late in life, and they were 
no, no, no. And now as those kids grow up, you think, how could they have ever lived without them? So it's okay to use birth control. It's okay to trust the Lord. But just be sure that you sought the counsel of God before deciding to do something just because, well, it's what you always plan to do. My next question comes from Eddie. He says, uh, what do you think about altar calls in church? I've gone to some churches where they are never given and the gospel itself is rarely shared. Eddie, that's a, a tragedy to me personally. Um, you know, we we don't have topics that we teach on here at our church. Uh, I teach through the Bible. Where I ended last week is where I'm going to start this week. And people say, well, how do you ever give the gospel? How do you ever this in some places? I've never, ever had a Bible study where there wasn't not only the opportunity to give the gospel, but to explain why people need good news. And uh, I, I am personally convicted, and this is just me, and I, I'm, I, I don't think that everybody, uh, every pastor has to do it this way. But I have been personally convicted from the very beginning of my time here that uh, every time I had a microphone in my hand, I would give an invitation for people to receive Jesus Christ. Now, we do it differently on Wednesday nights. Uh, the crowd is smaller in their Old Testament Bible studies, and most of the people are saved there, if not all of them. And uh, I ask people uh, in a time of quiet prayer to raise their hands if they want to receive Jesus Christ after explaining what that means and how to do it. On Friday night, tonight, we'll close with a bunch of the men and women from our pastor's discipleship class. They'll spread out along the front, and people will come up. And if they uh, want to give their heart to Jesus, then the people there will lead them in a prayer to receive Christ. On Sundays, Eddie, and again, this is just Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I believe and have always believed that it's important to give an invitation uh, and ask for a public response. Not just the raising the hand, but people coming forward. Jesus said, if you declare me before men, I will declare you before my Father in heaven. But he says, if we deny him before men, he'll deny us in heaven. And I think there's something um, supernatural about uh, somebody coming forward, fighting their flesh, um, resisting the urge to stay put because of pride or whatever the reason might be. And uh, I've watched people struggle throughout altar calls and finally get up and go, and it's like victory comes into their life. And I tell them when they're walking up our aisle, they're walking up here and Jesus is going to meet them. So, uh, Eddie, I'm with you. I think they are uh, a necessity. Um, our people here at Calvary Chapel always invite unbelievers to church with them because they know that the people they're praying for and the people they invite are always going to be given an opportunity to receive Jesus. And uh, so I think it's really, really important. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, I can't imagine not giving the gospel. Uh, and I know you're right. There's a lot of churches that don't. It makes people uncomfortable. Um, but I don't think God cares about their discomfort. I think he cares more about their eternal destination. So, Eddie, thank you for the question. Thank you for wanting people to get saved. Um, Russell says, it seems to me that more Christians are concerned about Pete Buttigieg, and I, I'm probably not saying the last name right. I've always had a hard time pronouncing his name. He is a Democrat running for president. About Pete uh, Buttigieg being married to a man than Donald Trump's adulterous relationships. I think that's hypocrisy. Um, Russell, I think both of those things are just abominations. And and I would warn you against being so generalized that, that because uh, Christians, many, have a tendency to vote conservative and they're voting for Trump and uh, I, I don't think by casting their vote they're saying he's a paragon of virtue. I don't think that they're saying that they are approving his lifestyle or the way he conducts himself. I think what they're saying is, look, I'm looking at two candidates. I only have those two choices, and I am voting for the one who most nearly 
represents my values. Now, the values that we worry about when we are casting a vote um, are are typically not somebody's personal values. Um, I don't know Donald Trump. Uh, I've never met him. I probably never will. Um, I, I know that he proclaims himself to be a Christian, and there's zero fruit coming from his life. So this is a man that, at least in my view, has not been born again. And I don't expect people that aren't born again, Russell, to act like Christians. I don't. And you're generalizing, dangerously generalizing, lumping in a whole bunch of Christians. And the truth is you're judging their hearts because of the choice they made. Now, the other candidate, the Democratic candidate, is a a man who's married to a man. And this is a man who flaunts his Christianity. I am a Christian. He said it over and over and over, all the while championing the rights of homosexuals while parading his own aberrant lifestyle before the world. And Russell, every time I think about men like him. All I can remember is that as a nation, we've lost our ability to blush over sin. We, we, we have no shame. We've lost our, our uh, morality compass point. It is unthinkable. I was talking to somebody about this today, and it is unthinkable. Just 10 years ago, let alone when I grew up to have an openly homosexual man or woman running for any office, much less the highest office in our nation. Now, if he was pro-life, um, and the choice that I had to vote for somebody else was Even worse, I probably wouldn't vote in that category. When somebody is openly rebellious against God, I guess this is the easiest way for me to say it, Russell. When somebody is openly rebellious against God and patting themselves on the back in the process, it would be really, really hard for me to vote for that person. So, Russell, again, please be very careful about judging your brothers and sisters in the Lord. I know the feelings against Donald Trump run deep. And I am embarrassed by some of the things that he says and does. But remember, we're not voting for a moral leader. We're voting for a man who's going to appoint conservative judges to the Supreme Court and stop the flow of immorality and hopefully one day overturn Roe v. Wade. We're voting for a man who will save babies' lives. Even if He's got all kinds of other areas in his life that are inconsistent with that. So, Russell, that's the best I can do. Uh, Again, the one thing that we don't want to do is judge the hearts of people because they seem to favor a candidate that you don't want anything to do with. 340-9585. How am I doing on time? Two minutes? Just under two minutes? Um... Courtney asks, Pastor Ron, what did Jesus mean when he said he only says what he hears his father say? Um, Courtney, uh, when Jesus was here, he was completely submitted to the authority of his father. Uh, He says, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. And, And I guess the easiest way to put that, Courtney, is that Jesus, when he was here walking this earth under the authority of his father, never had an independent thought. 
he didn't get up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'll do this today. He was always checking in with his father. He was always walking according to the power of the Spirit. He didn't have his own agenda. There were times he asked his father for things. But by and large, when his father said no, Jesus said, okay. And so it just means that he never acted independently of his father. He was completely dependent on his relationship with his father. And that's one of the reasons he spent so many nights praying all night long. Courtney, thank you for the question. We've got 30 minutes. The phones have been quiet. 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585. Here's a question from our email inbox that came from Chip. Uh, If God wanted all the altars to be of natural stone, untouched by tools or man-made items, why was the altar, the temple, made the way it was? Good question. Exodus chapter 20, um, uh, the altars that were to be built, um, um, you know, other, before obviously there was a temple, um, those altars needed to be untouched by man, untouched by tools. Uh, because God wanted it to be different than all of the pagan idols and the pagan pagan temples where all kinds of horrible things were done. But when the altar, and you remember this, it, it, it also applied uh, to the tabernacle in the wilderness. Um, those details were given to Moses, and, and Moses was told repeatedly to make these things exactly after the pattern that I give you. In other words, Moses... Uh, and Bezalel and his crew, they didn't have any opportunity for creativity. God gave them a very specific blueprint and said, follow it exactly, not close, follow it exactly. And of course, we know that God was giving them the pattern of the temple that is going to be in heaven. So um, um, at the beginning, when you make your altars uh, away from Jerusalem, um, no tool should touch him, no bricks, um, no man-made improvements, or just natural stones, set them one after another. Um, but when sacrifices were included, both in the tabernacle and at the temple, then everything changed. And remember, it changed at the word of God. It wasn't man saying, I think it's time to do something else. It was God's express direction for them to build it a certain way. And then obviously uh, craftsmen had to be involved. Uh, Bezalel uh, Chip, we have a ministry here called Bezalel Ministries. And Bezalel was a man who was filled with the Spirit and God gave him unbelievable ability uh, to build things not only after the pattern that was given, but just unbelievable skill, supernatural skill. And our ministry here, Bezalel, is a a ministry that is headed up by uh, a man named Miguel who can fix anything. He's just such a great craftsman, and he has whole crew with him. Uh, and what they do is they uh, they fix things in people's houses, whether they're um, older people or widows uh, or single moms, and they've got things going wrong in their homes. Uh, we've got a crew that'll go over there and take some tools and and fix things, and of course we do it all for free. We've got a few people that can fix cars and those kind of things, so I thought Bezalel was a good name for that ministry when we started it, Chip. But remember, God can change his own law 
And that's exactly what he did when he gave him the instructions for the tabernacle first and then later the temple. Good question. Flora asks, oh, you made my heart hurt. Well, I've got a dear lady. Love her so much. Her name is Flora. And um, she is in Germany now, her and her husband, and I miss him so much. So this Flora says, does God still speak to us today other than through the Bible? Uh, Flora, he does. But, but I want to be really careful here to be understood. Uh, God primarily, overwhelmingly so, speaks to us in the Word. Uh, it's living and active. It's, it's, it meets us where we are. And as we're in the Word, doesn't matter how many times you've read it, um, God will use His supernatural Word uh, to arrest your attention so that you can get answers to the questions that we ask. So almost always God speaks to us through His Word. But there are still times when God speaks to us, uh, to our hearts, uh, he speaks to us occasionally through other people. Uh, and I, I, I stress the word occasionally. You know, we've got a church culture where people always want to speak for God. We have to be very careful, very discerning. But occasionally God will send somebody. Uh, maybe he's been trying to get your attention. You've been re- ignoring him and he'll send somebody else to lovingly and nicely uh, sort of give you a nudge back in that direction. Um and occasionally, even he'll speak to us in circumstances. We have to be very careful of that. Uh, it's always a little bit frustrating to me when Christians say, well, you know, God, this is what I'm going to do. If you don't want me to do it, close the door. Or if you want me to do it, open the door. Uh, I've seen a lot of times for when Satan opens and seemingly closes doors as well. Now, here's the thing about the other ways of hearing God that I just spoke about other than through the Word. You can't possibly hear from the Lord if you're not in the Word. And by and large, for we've got a spiritually lazy culture and people just aren't really digging in. You know, we want God to give us an easy, quick answer, but we won't dig in to find out the real answer. We won't open the Word because it convicts us or we just don't take the time who knows there's a million reasons but believe me if you're not in the word then all of the other methods of God speaking to your heart are going to to turn out most often to be the enemy speaking to you first John chapter 4 verse 1 we're told brothers test the spirits because not every spirit is from God you know, as Christians, sometimes we have a tendency to think, well, if if this is how I feel, or I feel God is is telling me to do something, um, I can promise you, if, if you don't know the Word, then that's not going to be God telling you at all. We've got to be really careful, and as I said before, really, really discerning, um, because to to hear God clearly... We need to be men and women who really understand, dig into, and study the Word. So he still does, but primarily, Flora, he does that through the Word of God. Tony asks, um, is Peter the Rock... Oops, wait a minute, let me take... I've got a phone call holding. Let's go to Kerrville and talk with Ron on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. You bet. I, I don't have a question as much as I've got a really short testimony about Bazarwell. Uh I'm undergoing chemo for cancer right now, and oh, his okay. name came into my life really big. Uh, okay. The night before my first chemo, and I've had a wonderful walk with the Lord. He just, he's been there for me for the last three or four years in an unbelievable way. And I was praying real heavily about my first chemo, which is scary, and all the things that go with it. And he's also given me words at different times in my uh, and, and all of this experience. At 4.52 in the morning, he wakes me up and gives me the word Bezuel. When I <laughs> and I know the story of Bezuel. I find it terribly fascinating that uh, but he would actually anoint somebody with the Holy Spirit going to what you were talking about with the tabernacle mm-hmm. and have done it. 
So he just gives me the name Bezuel, but nothing else. And I'm kind of standing there with my hands up saying, okay, what's this have to do with my chemo? That was 4.52 in the morning at 5.03. Some friends of mine that uh, live down the road ranch like we do up in Mason County, they, a gal calls me and or texts me and says that she's been praying for me. And my first question was, why are you up at 5 o'clock in the morning praying? But anyway, <laughs> her whole family was, was praying for me, and I just said, oh, by the way, what do you know about about Bezuel? She says, hold on just a minute. And she texts me back three or four minutes later, and his name basically, and you have to interpret a little bit, means that you're under the protection of God. And <laughs> it can't get any better than that on your first day of chemo, Pastor Ron. So oh. if people want to hear his voice, just get and I would never known his name if I wouldn't have been fascinated about how the Holy Spirit was work, worked in the Old Testament as opposed to the Holy Spirit coming in and living in us now when we receive Christ. So I didn't mean to take well, that much time in your show. No. I always uh, you. I gave you the rest of the half hour, Ron. Thank you so much. Um, what a wonderful thing to say. You can hear his heart and his spirit. Now, I've been through, um, uh, I've been with a lot of people through chemo treatments, and, and that first one is always frightening. You've got the worst of the worst in terms of expectations. And, and Ron's testimony is one that I hope will encourage all of us. Uh, God gives us grace when we need it to go through really difficult things. And um, Ron, that, that you said you've you've had a wonderful walk with the Lord. Um, you've also learned now that in the most difficult of times, He never deserts you. He's always there, and it's true that His grace is sufficient. We 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 get frightened by things that we haven't experienced, but when we go through those things with Jesus, as Ron is in, and in audience, you can hear. Uh, his heart. You can hear the joy of the Lord. He's not sitting around saying, oh, woe is me, why me? Um, he's experiencing the power of God and the goodness of God uh, even in what is undoubtedly one of the worst times of his life. And that's how ever-present Jesus is. In his presence is fullness of joy. And Ron's phone call to us is exactly that. Uh, Ron, I'll share one thing with you very quickly. Um, I was taken by by Bezalel um, the very first time I read uh, through the Bible and, and, and first encountered him. Um, and it's funny for me because I'm a guy that can't fix anything. I have zero aptitude at all. You know, Paula, bless her heart, she fixes the things that go wrong at home. Uh, I look at something and there's just no conception. I mean, it's impossible. Well, what do you mean fix it? What What would I do? And um, so to see a gift like that, and uh, the, when we first started Bezalel Ministries, uh, the guy that headed it up, his name is Terry Rush, and um, he came to me and he said, Pastor Ron, I don't know, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts and I want to serve the Lord. And I said, well, Terry, everybody has gifts given by God. And he said, well, I don't know. I said, well, Terry, what can you do? Just think about this. Well, what can you do? And he goes, well, I can't do anything. The only thing I can do is fix things. I can fix almost anything. And immediately we sat down and prayed about this ministry that we call Bezalel Ministries. And he stepped right up, took over, and he was uh, in charge of that ministry for, I don't know, um, 10 years and and um, one of the one of the great delights of my life, Ron, was uh, when we opened Malta Medical, and Bezalel Ministries uh, did the work at Malta Medical. We we uh, uh, did the work preparing everything, moving all the stuff in, fixing everything, getting it all set up, and there was quite a bit of construction involved. And when we we opened up and patients started coming in, I saw him one day. We were praying down there the first day, that the actually the afternoon um, before the the first day Bezalel opened. Which, by the way, that's next month is our birthday. Uh, it'll be our eighth birthday of doing uh, Malta Medical. Um, and as we were praying out there on the night before it opened, before the doors and our first patient would come in, 
um, I looked over and Terry was over there crying. And I said, Terry, why are you crying? I'm going to cry now. He said, I can't believe God let me be a part of something like this. And this was a guy who came to me and said he couldn't do anything. Well, the same spirit that overcame Bezalel overcame him. And we've now it's a big ministry. We've got a lot of people who are involved in it, and it's really a great, great thing. Ron, you made my day. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. People like Ron sort of make me feel a little embarrassed. Um, when I complain about little things that are going on in my life. Tony says, is Peter the rock that the church is built on in Matthew chapter 16? Uh, Tony, no, and and as you may know, based on your religious background, um, Catholics believe that Peter was the first pope and the church would be built upon him, Peter the rock. Um, But uh, the, the, the rock that Peter's called um, is a little pebble. The Greek, again, is very, very clear. Uh, and the rock, it's this massive rock that Jesus is going to build his church on, refers back to the confession that Peter made. Who do people say that I am? Thou art the Son of God, the Christ. And, and Jesus said, Blessed are you. This has been revealed to you not by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, this church will be built upon that rock, the profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So, Tony, don't get caught up in all the religious nonsense. Uh, Peter was a tiny, tiny pebble and proved it often. And for God's glory, it's amazing how much God got out of that little tiny pebble over the course of his life. You know, one of the things I just realized as I was answering that question is that one of the differences between religion and relationship is, at least it ought to be in all of our minds, uh, religion is based on what man has done. You know, even the Catholic Church's position on saints, and, and Catholics pray to saints and they pray to Mary. It's always the human who is the focus of our prayers, of our thoughts. And we're to think higher than that. We're to fix our minds and our hearts on Christ who's seated at the right hand of God. And human vessels never get any glory. So um, religion is venerating man, uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, being born again. And this is what Peter learned, is based on only one thing, what God has already done in the person of Jesus Christ. So very important. Jose says, John 1.1 says, Jesus was the Word, and he was God. I have a friend who says the Greek says Jesus was a God, not God. Is that what the Greek really says? Uh, Jose, your friend is Jehovah's Witness, and um, they have sold uh, their followers a bill of goods. Uh, They said, you know, our Greek scholars are the best in the world, and This is the real translation. And in fact, not just there, but in other places, um, they add words. And A is a word that they add in the Watchtower translation of their Bible because they don't believe Jesus was God. They believe that Jesus was uh, Michael the Archangel, a created being rather than creator. So... um, to bolster their case, they had supposed Greek scholars who said, oh yeah, it means a god. That's what that's what the Bible leaves out. It's a god. And that's not true at all. There is not a reputable Greek scholar in the world that would read that text and say anything other than, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, period. So the Greek doesn't say that. They add it. They do so dishonestly. And whenever you have Jehovah's Witness who tells you that, um, you can go to your Greek concordances and uh, let them know that uh, they've been deceived um, because it's simply not there in the Greek text, in the Greek manuscripts. 
340-9585. Here is a question from Darren. He says, when Jesus came down from the transfiguration, why couldn't his disciples cast out the demon from the boy? You know, Darren, this is one of my favorite stories um, because it's so valuable in terms of of, uh, practical application for us. Now, you remember a couple of things about this story earlier. Jesus had sent out his disciples two by two, and he gave them authority over demons. That's just one thing. But he gave them the power to heal diseases and and cast out demons. And uh, so so at their own hand, miracles were done. And um, when Jesus, Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it seems pretty clear that there was some animosity between the two groups, you know, the nine who didn't get to go and they would be able to look up at the mountains, see the Shekinah glory, and they would think, well, why did Peter, James, and John go? Why not us? And then when these Jewish um, uh, exorcists tried to cast out the demon from this boy, um, they couldn't do it, of course. And uh, so the disciples said, well, we can do it. And so they started casting out demons. The problem is it didn't work. Now, here's why. They couldn't cast the disciples out. Jesus hadn't given them the power this time. They were trying to depend on the power or the experience that they had before. Well, Jesus told us, we can, sure, we can cast out the demons, but, but nothing happened. And all the while, you've got this boy who is in horrible condition and a, and a, and a frantic father who just wants his son back. Now, here's the lesson. Too many of us, we try... We try really, really hard to use the power God gave us before today. We need fresh power every day. We need fresh filling every single day. And so, Darren, if we don't do that, um, then there's no power. We're not going to be able to do it as well. Thanks for the question. Let's go to Robert holding on line two. Robert, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, sir. And I, I need to ask your consent before I say something, because... Uh, it's a, I in no way ever, ever be impolite. But uh, you talked about something yesterday, and uh, I, I had kind of a personal testimony I'd like to share about something. And, and, but no way, I think I come down on it a little differently than you do. Is that okay if I say that, or would you prefer uh, Sure, sure, Rob. We, we, got, we got four minutes, so go ahead. Uh, well, you talk, the lady that called in yesterday, and she was so distraught about her husband and her natural-born children from a prior marriage together, the adult children. And I'll just tell you real quick, this is what happened to me. I, I'm an older man, and I was seeing a lady, a very nice lady, a Christian lady, and her, her, her children did not appreciate the fact that she was seeing somebody else. So I, I told her that I was I came hopefully into her life to bring her happiness, not unhappiness. And I said in my personal view, I cannot be a good person and cause any discord in your life. So I made the decision that unless her children were amenable to it that I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't participate, and I said I would be more than willing to. Uh, I want you to be happy, and uh, if you need to go have time with your children, I want you to do that. And maybe the time will come where they would accept me, but maybe they won't. But it still's not going to be uh, important to me because I want you to be happy. Anyway, I say that because. When I was a very young man, uh, there was a fireman on the SAPD, and he married a woman that had four children. And I saw what he did. He brought in the ex-husband, sat down. It was one of the most mature things I've ever seen in my life. And he said to the husband, he said, listen, you have a right to know who I am because I'm going to be living sometimes in the house with your children. I'll never take your place, and I'll, but I want you to meet me and know me because you have a right to know that I respect you as the father. And I also respect you that uh, I'm never going to try to take your place, but you have a right to know who I am. I learned that lesson when I was a young man, and that stayed with me when I saw this lady. That's what I ended up telling her. I said, listen, if you need to have your children, I want you to have that relationship. Your relationship with me should not cause discord, but rather happiness. I would think that, uh, and she was a good Christian lady, and I, I would think a, a good believer 
man should take that position. Anyway, I want to share that because that thank, may thank not you, be... Robert. I'm going to take just a little bit of time to respond to it, and and I don't disagree with anything that you said. I think what people missed the lady yesterday who called and you is is that the, the lady who called yesterday about this situation, her children were being disrespectful. They were cursing her out, and 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 the husband jumped and said, you can't talk to my wife that way. And uh, so this wasn't a a mature thing. This wasn't something that was an opportunity to be gracious and give a witness. This was uh, children that were were being rebellious. They were being disrespectful. And they they absolutely refused to acknowledge even that um, their mother had a husband and wanted nothing to do with him uh, because he and, and their mother were following the Lord together. So it was a completely different context. I don't disagree with anything you said at all. Um, uh, I certainly wouldn't be against a, a mother having problems with her child. And I'm running out of time, but this is really important. You know, when, when somebody with children marries somebody else, you have no business marrying somebody that you don't trust in authority over your children. And I think we forget that. Well, they're her kids, so no. If God chose you to be the man who represents him, then you have a responsibility. Thank you. I appreciate the call, Robert. Hey, we're done with this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great weekend in church. I hope somebody gets saved in your church and in ours so that Jesus will come back for us. God bless you. We'll see you next week on AM 630 The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.